the problem is if you hire for today and you give a high position for that person saying, let's say you have a great programmer, just an absolute monster who's, who's, who's really good at fast prototyping and fast coding. Is that person good at leading a, an engineering team? Probably not. But what if he comes really early? Will he be a lead developer? If he's a lead developer, that's a problem because now you've given a title for somebody who's not actually a lead developer. And sometimes I've seen even titles like CTO being given to people who are just great coders. That doesn't make you a CTO. So I, I think I think if you're hiring for a lead position, that person needs to be a lead. And then you can go about and, and, and thinking about like, what kind of a lead do you want? Do you want a lead that can actually build something? Well, that those people do exist and you can hire for that. Or if you want to have just a lead that can scale up and you probably have to be in a, a bit of a different position as a company. But yeah, as a, as, a, as a thumbnail, don't give away titles like candy. I, for one, am massively looking forward to chatting to today's guest on Scaling So Far. Um, we've crossed paths a few times over the years um, and he's built and scaled teams uh, for some of the most kick-ass teams in the world of gaming for companies like Supercell, Rovio, and Zynga. Um, and I'm stoked that he's with us today. Uh, now CEO and co-founder of Savage Game Studios, uh, Mishka Katkov. Welcome to the podcast, Mishka. How's it all going? Thanks, Matt. It's, you know, it's going, it's going as good as it can be, as it can be during these, um, these fun times. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you ever so much for joining us. I know you're super busy um, with the launch of the company and all that good stuff, but it'd be great if you could tell us um, a little bit about yourself and your story so far. Yeah, so I've been I've been in games for about 12 years. Started at Digital Chocolate, which back then was making games for Facebook Canvas. And I was actually one of the first product managers in the company. And it was pretty much learning on the job because the job was to make money out of free games, which just sounded absolutely crazy. And it does sound still crazy as, as it is today. Like every time you see people paying for free games and every time I pay for free games, it's crazy. Anyways... Uh, so learned that useful skill on, on the job. And from that, you know, web went down, mobile went up. And so I ended up working at Rovio then worked at Supercell, Zynga, OnePlus, worked both here in Helsinki, as well as um, in, on, in States, uh, in San Francisco. And currently, as you said, founded my, my, own, my own company, finally. And um, and that's that's been my career progression from product manager to game lead to studio lead to um, to now um, a startup a startup CEO, which is not like a typical CEO. A startup CEO is a very different job than a CEO. So it certainly is. It's yeah. sleeve, sleeves up. Yeah, <laughs> it's position. It's almost but, funny to say that that's a CEO. <laughs> yeah, it does feel strange sometimes when the company's like two, three, four, five people, but <laughs> it shows yeah. the intent. So what led you after a you know, very impressive career to, to co-fund your own studio last year? Was it something you've been thinking about for a long time or just uh, an idea that sparked? Um... Yeah, I mean, honestly, it wasn't something that I've been thinking about a long time. And um, it came out quite naturally, organically, to be honest. It was just meeting with the, uh, with the people you wanted to found the company with. It was realizing a clear market fit and people actually that would be not only capable of building a, a game like this, but also, or games like these, but also people that are passionate about building something like that. And um, and the third thing is always like, can we get resources to build something that we want to build? And and um, after discussions with, with uh, VCs, they believed in the cost, so the resources came in. So now you have three things. You got the market fit, you got the people who are willing to do that, and now you have resources to, to pursue this challenge, so why not? But personally, I do have to say, like, for me, the biggest driver was to, to, to build a culture, to build the, the, type, of a, the type of studio that, that uh, I believe can execute on the mission. So, so that, was, that, was, that was something that was, that was driving me uh, probably the most, but of course, those those other aspects are important as well. Awesome, sounds great. And how would you describe the the mission and vision for for Savage Game Studios? Yeah, well, I I um I don't know if, if I'm okay. Let's put it this way: I'm not a biggest fan of the vision, especially with startups, because it's kind of lofty to say like, "Hey, we're going to connect people through games." 
and create these experiences. It's just like, come on, guys, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, there's six yeah. of you or ten of you or like whatever. So I would say the but but I'm definitely a big proponent of a mission because mission is something that you can build your values around. And mission is like, what are you executing against? And the values are uh, is how are you working to get to the to to complete the mission? So for Savage, our mission is to to build the premier mobile shooter studio in the world. That's a, that's a lofty mission. So I don't think you need a vision on top of that already. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, and the values are based on this mission and, and the values guide on how we're working. Cool. I like your answer there. Much debate on mission versus vision. And you guys have an ambitious statement. Uh, and like you say, you can build an organization and some values around that to execute. And that's the, the most important thing. Yeah. Cool. So there are 10 of you currently in the team, um, as I understand it. Um, maybe that's grown a bit since, <laughs> since we recorded that. Seasoned industry veterans from companies like Rockstar, Wargaming, Rovio, Next Games. I think I and certainly the list listeners would love to hear a bit more about what your approach has been to, to building the team to date. I know you referenced it earlier, um, especially from a founder's perspective. How did you know who those early people were? that you needed to bring on board yeah so yes we we are we are 12 today and 13 on monday and cool. as of this recording so so uh we're, we're we've been you know i would say that the hiring hasn't been the uh, the most difficult things of course when you're very small hiring the first set of 10 to 20 people tends to be quite easy and after that of course you're using services like seed uh to, to uh to to grow from there but for us the the hiring is is really based on planning and i think the planning has to be done beforehand so we we've drawn our organization charts we know what we need to accomplish and um and we're we're basically hiring based on that and and pretty much yeah i would just yeah i think everybody who've been hired is somebody we worked with before uh, at this point but as it goes usually you can get with that to about 20 25 people and after that, you've you've kind of tapped out, and also it's good to start looking outside just to just to you know not to hire every friend you have. Yeah, it's it's very interesting from a, a cultural perspective, and that's probably a conversation for another day. But yeah, you know the, the the organizations that we see succeed, you know, from a continuity perspective of bringing in those folks they can work with um, very early on when it's in that kind of just super hustle phase. Yeah, um, so, so it it's, it's all about speed. It's all about speed, both with, as you guys know, hiring takes a lot of time. Uh, testing takes a lot of time. Building trust takes a lot of time. And those are important investments as you go forward. But especially in the beginning, if you're able to save some time by, by bringing people who you know can complete the mission and are eager to, to take, you know, to, to jump on and are actually a good fit, not just that they are friends, but mm -hmm. you can find in your roller decks those people who fit the position then I think it's it's a good call to take them. But if they're not a perfect fit and you're just taking them because it's the easiest thing to do, then that's a wrong call as well. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's let's dive into kind of the um, learnings from from hiring as a process. You know, either for for this company yourself now, or you know, we know you've worked at the organizations you mentioned before. Mm -hmm. You know, both in in Europe and the US. Um, be really keen to, for you to share your thoughts with others um, around where you should begin from a hiring perspective. You know, what have you learned? What are the sort of some of the big, big mistakes that you see? Yeah, well, well, the biggest mistake, and I think everybody who, who listens to this and everybody who's, who's worked in any company knows that hiring too fast is the biggest mistake. Just bringing too many people too quickly uh, not only slows down your, 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 uh, your production or whatever you're doing, but also messes with your culture. So, so essentially that's, that's the biggest mistake and that's how companies die. So, so, um, it's, it's very expensive mistake. So always, always go for, for slow hiring. Um, and, and especially in the beginning, in the beginning, I think you should hire people who have other people that they would bring along because you're building an organization and, you're, and are, sure you're, you're, bringing along some specialists that, that are specialists for, for the special task. But, but majority of the people that you're trying to bring are those who would scale up as the organization scales up. So uh, it's important that if you're hiring an art director, 
that the art director has actually a team and preferred partners that they've used to work so that they can set up the operations and, and, and bring talent with them. I've had that experience before and it's been absolutely fantastic. They would start pretty much with a, with a full skeleton art team and preferred outsourcing partner who they've worked years from before and you're up and running from, from day one. Uh, another thing that I've learned um, recently, this, this is just recent, just by, by, by being a, a very conscious of money and time as a startup CEO, um, use contractors until you, ha- you find a great fit. So oftentimes, I've done this mistake before, and I'm sure other people are doing, is that they're trying to hire and fill up positions quickly so that they can move forward. They need certain talent, otherwise they're getting bottlenecked from it world is filled, especially now, with contractors, uh, just super great ta- specialists that can help you out in certain specific tasks. Use those and continue using them until you find the fit. So now you're not pressed on time to get that specialist. Like, oh, this person is you know, good enough. Maybe not a perfect cultural fit. Maybe not the best type of talent, but we need this person right now. Otherwise, we'll, we will, you know, it will cost money, whatever it is. No, use contractor and take time with hiring with this like you say you kind of remove any constraints which allow yeah, you as a business exactly. to make better people decisions you're you're buying time you're not yeah. you're not you're not you know being behind the curve by by actually contracting some of the pieces out uh third one is of course leverage your investor in investors uh whether that's investors or your own network but use your own network um you you'll, you might find some great um great people through that and other things that I've learned is that typical PR is damn near useless. Like if you're I'm not throwing shade at Pocket Gamer, but that type of uh, like basic PR, short blip, hey, we raised X amount of money, we're looking for this, this and that, whatever. No, like that's almost useless. I'm, I'm sorry to say that, but that's, that's the case. Podcasts, on the other hand, have been great. Uh, this is coming from my own experience, running a podcast as well for a long time. I've had a lot of guests from different companies come in and they were talking about their organization and they were getting a lot of people applying for those roles. So whether they are marketing lead or marketing director or a product director or whatever, hearing somebody talk for an hour about their organization, how they're working, what are the challenges, that leads to a person listening to it and like, oh, there's actually a fit. I'm interested to hear more about it. And for some odd reason, podcasts have been great. Maybe it's long form conversation. Maybe it is. Uh, the, I, I don't know why, but they just bring it closer. So if you can invest your time into releasing press releases and begging for whoever to post them on their site versus jumping on podcasts like this, jump on a podcast, share it on your LinkedIn, and that's better. Yeah, I was going to ask you why, but you said you're not too sure. But I can kind of see see why that makes sense, right? There's a, there's a, a bland post. There are what hundreds of these on a weekly basis, right? People raising money or yeah. have a look inside this company, that yeah. company. And I think with a podcast as a listener, you can start to feel how passionate somebody is about a topic. You know, yeah. does, does that resonate with you? What are they building? Does it align with what you want to, to achieve from a career exactly. perspective? And, and I do, and I don't want to say that the press releases are useless, not by any means, because mm. they are, on the other hand, great for raising awareness for your company, yeah. for other investors, as well as you know M and As and whatnot. That's where the BD guys are following that. But the people who are, who are interested in joining your journey are not looking at name the publication and what's the latest press release that, that is being put out there they're they're not they're not so and if they are you probably don't want them because yeah i mean i have seen that, that the type of people that apply at different stages of a, an organization's journey um does change and sometimes that's driven yeah. by pr um you've got your early stage folks that that like the building phase the, the hustle phase and you've got folks that like uh, company is already Mm-hmm. mature established successful i feel some security here um and yeah some are just chasing the, the, the uh, false sense of security we'll talk about that later <laughs> cool so i try to get so big it can't go down <laughs> <laughs> so here's an interesting question and you've thrown some questions back at me so um is there a myth that you think need busting when it comes to building a games team um, BS advice or something that you've seen too often um, advocated um, when it shouldn't be? 
Yeah. So I read this question in advance. The questions that you guys sent were amazing. I went through the, the advance and this was the only one that I didn't have really an answer because I don't like, what are the typical, like you guys know it, like what are the myths in, in building teams? Yeah, I'll throw a few out there. And these are sort of from, from previous podcasts um, as well as some of my own, my own. And there's the um, hiring fast versus hiring slow. You've already solved for that one. An interesting one is, um, let's talk about this one. This is an interesting one. Um, I'm not sure it's a, it's a myth, but an interesting topic for us to, topic for us to talk about, which is um, firing people quickly. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to say it's a myth, but I'm going to use the opportunity to jump on that. Um, I guess you've got two schools of thought, right? And I've experienced both, um, some through constraints of, of local market labor laws and some through organizational yeah. culture, right? But there are organizations that probation period is a, a very, very serious thing, um, an opportunity for both parties to decide if, if the organization works for them or not. And there are others that it's just a thing that's in a contract and yeah. let this kind of thing rumble on like a let's use this opportunity to talk about that as a topic like your thoughts on let's call it firing fast <laughs> i hate the word fire. i know it's, it's, your it's a a offensive controversial topic <laughs> i think i think letting go is is the part. like if you have to fire somebody then you are poor at recruiting that means you just hired somebody you had no idea and that person came in and it was horrible so you have to fire his ass that's what i think yeah. about and then there's like letting somebody go because there was no fit and that's mm. a different thing so i think that's a great topic um done that a lot to be like not not a lot a lot but in every position that i've been i had to let go people um i have a very simple process so First of all, setting goals. Goals have to be really clear. If the person is not aware of their exact goals and the ownership through that, they will most likely fail in their in the organization. And then you won't be able to point like, why did they fail? It's like, well, kind of didn't fit or kind of didn't do that. But in real life, the person just didn't know what was expected of mm -hmm. her or him. So start off with very clearly defined goals. And actually in our in Savage, we've gone a step further. This might sound crazy but we define the goals and you have to sign them because every time you sign something you really read what was being said and this is just making sure like hey these are the goals and and you know sign it like read it sign it do you agree with them okay great this and like you would a contract if you have any questions or concerns yeah. you discuss them right yes exactly so so it's not just an e it's not a conversation it's not an email it's it's real like you sign it and it was kind of like this was my co-founder he he uh he applied this to the tech team and i was like wow this sounds crazy we wouldn't do that in finland and actually he did that with our finnish um programmers and it worked like a charm because the ownership of the areas became very very clear for them i own this it doesn't matter who tells me what in this area this is what i have to deliver and i have the ownership and, and the way and the ability to decide how I deliver these pieces. So, so first of all, start off with, with making clear goals. Then, then after that, it's actually really easy management. According to that, like you can actually just follow how the person is leading through that. You can have conversations of like why certain things are not working. We do that as well. Just, you know, go through a feedback session and try to course correct if there is an issue, but there's usually only one uh, course correct session. If, if that doesn't work and there's no clear reason, it's just the ways of working, then we go to the uh, the next stage, which is essentially discussing of like, you know, how do we part ways? And and we've had to do that only once in our organization. And even the parting ways was, according to, to everybody, just done really um, humanly as possible. It was just not a fit. It wasn't because that person is not capable or this or that it was just not a fit and the person didn't feel that there was a fit and we didn't feel that there was a fit so what we discussed is like hey what would be a great organization for you to find a better fit and we will help you to 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 go there and um and let's just have a discussion about that rather than firing i mean <laughs> it's like don't come here get out of here you're horrible no 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 it was it's more of a it's, it's a humane conversation because this is a small industry and and the, and you know we try to be very good at hiring meaning that we hire 
good people. And if they don't fit, that must be something with most likely with the culture and with the ways of working. And that person might be excellent somewhere else, maybe at a larger organization, uh, for example. Yeah, and I've seen this, particularly in in Nordic countries work very well, like you say, as a humane process, as yeah. a for both parties, you know, this this is or isn't working. I think the key things that you mentioned here is that the hiring process should be robust enough that we're not in a situation where it's this uh, firing situation. Occasionally there are mishires, let's call it that. And if the organization um, has set very clear goals that the, the individual is responsible to, we can track and measure their progress against yeah. those goals. We can look to fix collectively. And if not, it's the best thing for everybody that we support that person in, in finding a career somewhere else. Um, and well, I see, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I see this as something that has been a personal learning for me as a first time CEO in my career. I, I absorbed it as a massive failure on myself. Um, um, and I see it happen quite consistently in sort of a startup land um, where people don't necessarily act on this stuff either quickly enough or in the right way. Yeah, yeah. And and I, I do agree. There are a lot of startups that don't do this. Most startups don't do this. And they're kind of, um, how would I put it? It's almost like, let the battle define the role. Like, mm-hmm. like the best people will rise on the top. That's not true. That's not true. Your organization is chaos. If, if a person has to kind of find their role. And also, what kind of people rise on the top? You know, the alphas. Do you mm-hmm. want your whole organization to be all full of alphas? I guess if you're running a hedge fund, <laughs> like, but, but if you're running a, a game studio where you want creativity and you want different type of talent whether they're artists or programmers or or, or business people like there, there are different so i think you know defining the role is very important second thing that i that i didn't mention that i think is important is that when you lose your confidence in a person you will not regain it so why you know, that's it. Mm. That's a very interesting point. But yeah, the, the, the future judgment is clouded by the the former scenario, right? That was, that was told to me back at one company uh, that I worked with by a smart person as I was discussing uh, with, with him on a certain, you know, individual. And he said, like, you don't trust him anymore. So that's it. I was like, what do you mean? Like, that's it. That, that won't come back. Mm. And I was like, you're right. So that's it. <laughs> Interesting, very powerful message. I'm glad we ended on that topic. Uh, I think it was it was a better outcome than the original <laughs> question uh, from a listener's perspective. So um, you raised an impressive sort of 4.4 million um, seed round in January. So congratulations to, to you and the team for that. Um, as you look at the road ahead, what are some of the the main priorities? Um, are there specific specific focuses you have from a a talent people or, or is it kind of very much focused on on product for now it's it's definitely focused as, as i said like we're we're going at mission first and the mission is you know being a premier shooter studio and what does that entail well it entails always that you have to have your engine that that of course ours is built on top of unreal but you have to have that shooter engine and that is your core competence that is the core asset for the company so that is our main priority and, and from other parts, just making sure that we have the right people and the right culture to execute on this mission. And that is that is constant work because essentially you're going from four to 10 to 15 to 25. And as you're bringing more and more people, you have to invest more and more time in creating and fostering the right type of culture. And the culture will evolve. That's for sure, as more people come in. So you have to invest time into 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 making sure that it's the uh, it's the correct one to achieve your mission. Sounds great. And we talk about kind of culture in an organization, and, and you and I know that culture in, in any early stage organization or late stage organization is super important. And I, I particularly see culture held high in, in game studios from the experience I've had. Um, so what does the studio culture look like sort of at an early stage for you in, in Savage Games? And given your experience, what measures are you planning to kind of put in place to keep fostering, as you said, um, the, the culture in your organization? Yeah, well, well, culture is so important for us that that the whole name Savage Game Studios is based on the culture. Like that's the type of people we want to hire, savages. 
So, so, and that's, that's the kind of like workshop always going on in the company is like, what is a savage? Like, who is a savage? Let's, let's define that, that type of person. So we're always hiring for that. But for, for us, the, uh, the process is, is quite simple. I mean, again, going back to the mission, that being clear for everybody then hiring slowly based on that mission and based on, we actually have, um, we have a hiring freeze, which is a weird thing to, to put on a, on a startup, but but um, we do, and we've had to say no to people, uh, to, to good people, the people we work with, but the, the hiring freeze works in a way that unless you have a very well-defined role and you have reached the point where you can unlock that hire, meaning you don't want to scale too fast, now you've reached a point in the production or in the, in the work that now that role becomes open, now you can initiate the hiring process. And before that, it doesn't matter. You can't you can't hire for a role that does not exist. So hiring slowly, onboarding, um, that's important because as new people come in, it's good to explain them the uh, the, the things why certain things are done in certain ways. For example, like every day we have at Savage, we have um, we try not to have any meetings before noon. That's a, that's just the thing because that's um that's a focus time. That's something that. Um, we've noticed in our previous workplaces that the people with the most power are the people that have most meetings and they want to start off their day with the most important meetings, but the people who are actually executing and doing the work need to focus early on <laughs> mm. and you should leave them alone because 70% of the people are, are at best in the morning time. So their first meeting might be the daily and the dailies move later in the day. So usually at noon and before that, you just focus on your work. You can not even have your Slack on. Just just focus on on completing whatever you need to do. Uh, and of course, I talked about the written signed goals. I've talked about the daily. Oh, we also do a lot of play testing, a lot of play sessions, and we have our Friday of sort of a dedicated time where we can play. Where we play usually our own game, but we also play benchmark games together. And we have our all sort of like long form discussions on Friday. So mm. we try to move everything like focus, focus, focus. And then on Friday we play, discuss, um, you know, all that, all that jazz happening on, on, on one day instead of being kind of put in uh, in the middle of the weeks. And, um, and yeah, and, and follow. And, and, and in addition to that, the value discussions is always important. You always have to, as the organization grows, you always have to go back and discuss your values, and most importantly, what do you, what your values don't mean? Because um, when we discuss values, it's always based on the mission. This is how we work. And when we say efficiency, which is one of our key values, it, what does it not mean? And it's, it's important to get everybody's um, opinion on, on what do they don't what they don't want to see, not only what they want to see. And finally, offboarding. Offboarding is super important. If there's no, you know, the toxicity is one thing. We luckily haven't had that. And that's that's the, the firing thing. But but mainly it's just if it's not a cultural fit, you have to you have to let go a, a person. Makes sense. And I really like hearing about kind of the the rituals in an organization. Mm -hmm. um, because you know, for me, these types of things do define culture as the organization, who yeah. you are, how you operate. And these are differentials between organization to organization, right? Um, and I'd like the the people first, efficiency first kind of type uh, type approach. I'm dying to know um, and sort of unpick this topic if you're prepared to share with us. But what makes a savage? <laughs> I this this uh, this changes all the time. So we have a next session where we discuss what is. A, it doesn't say change; it evolves constantly. Yeah. So. We have our next sessions again. Milestone completed, so it's next week. We're having a discussion because so many new people have joined, uh, and we're going to talk about what it, exactly this question: what for them means savage. And this is our, our, you know, based on based on our mission. So inherently, for what it means for me, it's a person that loves ownership, and and in all the studios that I work with, the greatest results have always come due to individual effort like somebody like she was able to pull something that 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 was that moved the whole team forward mm. or he was able to do something that was totally unexpected he pulled it off and that person is a savage celebrated in the team so if your whole team is savages then what can happen so that's essentially uh that's essentially what we're trying to do and uh and we're trying to hire for 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 that type of mentality so a person who's, cool. uh, who's 
excited about the ownership. Cool. And I think a super important takeaway for, for people that are listening here is that culture evolves and it requires contribution and yeah. it changes. And it's a team, a team game, uh, not just, uh, you know, not setting the ivory tower, um, updating the spreadsheet or the, the pitch deck by yourself, right? This is something that everyone lives and breathes. The, the ivory tower, if you will, has to be clear on what is the mission. Like yeah. that is important. And then everything else will be defined by your actions uh, that, that you're taking. So, so, um, so that's, yeah. Perfect. Thanks for that. So when you're creating genre defining games, um, like you have, and, and we'll be doing in this organization, um, you have to be able to hire genre defining talent, right? Um, so how do you go about that? What does the balance of skill, experience, potential, culture ad look like for you? And how do you spot this in candidates? Yeah, well, well, it really starts from from having a strong leads for all the functions because I'm I'm not the person who can who can <laughs> define if somebody is a is a genre defining programmer or a back end lead or so forth. So so it starts off with with hiring the leads and the leads you trust, and then those leads hire the type of team that can function the best way. So and, and the second thing is as as I said, we have uh, clear hiring gates. So as lead, usually leads work them alone and then they pass certain gates and they unlock more talent to their team. And then they are defining those roles very clearly. They're defining the goals for the people very clearly. And we do a lot of testing before we hire. So those are, those are all the elements to, to build that team. And, and in the meanwhile, we contract because contracting is fantastic. It's a person that starts off next Monday, and works for a month or a week or a, or a three months until like as long as needed. Yeah, and uh, place your efficiency uh, mentioned earlier as well, right? Makes yes. sense. Yeah. And going back to the strong leads piece, I picked up on this earlier. Um, when you're early stages in organization, first 10 or so employees, you're hiring these strong leads. Are you a believer in, and I think I know the answer based on what you alluded to earlier, are you a believer in kind of, over hiring these positions so that those leads have the potential to to build and scale those functions i guess kind of like the mindset of hiring today versus hiring for the future i think would be the sort of broad topic here yeah all of our leads have led before yeah and um i think that's crucial i think hiring for today well the problem is if you hire for today and you give a high position for that person saying let's say you have a great programmer just an absolute monster who's, who's who's really good at fast prototyping and fast coding. Is that person good at leading a, an engineering team? Probably not. But what if he comes really early? Will he be a lead developer? If he's a lead developer, that's a problem because now you've given a title for somebody who's not actually a lead developer. And sometimes I've seen even titles like CTO being given to people who are just great coders. That doesn't make you a CTO. So Anyways, I, I think I think if you're hiring for a lead position, that person needs to be a lead. And then you can go about and, and, and thinking about like, what kind of a lead do you want? Do you want a lead that can actually build something? Well, that those people do exist and you can hire for that. Or if you want to have just a lead that can scale up and you probably have to be in a, a bit of a different position as a company. But, um, but yeah, as a, as, a, as a thumbnail, don't give away titles like candy. I think it's a very valuable piece of advice and I see this certainly as organizations go through maturity phases and, and funding phases and first person on the ground in, in tech has got VP of, director of and there becomes a very awkward conversation when. <laughs> yeah, we, and we, we make sure like, like, like I say, I'm a CEO on paper. I'm more like a GM to be honest. And then our CTO might say the same thing. He's like, I'm a technical director. I'm CTO on paper, but I'm a technical director. When the organization grows, I hope I can become a CTO of this organization. Yeah, makes sense. Now, you've hired for, I guess, been a hiring manager, let's call it that, in some of the, let's call it the world's most attractive game studios, um, and now hiring for a brand new um, organization. Um, two very different, um, two very different approaches, I think. Um, so, what have you seen work well for you 
in the startup studio kind of environment when it comes to standing out to candidates against the bigger names? This is the type of advice that our listeners could take on board themselves and say, hey, we're super small. We're competing against folks yeah. like you. You've worked with it for Robio, Supercell, et cetera, et cetera. How do we, how do we stand out? How do we differentiate as a, as a studio and a, a destination? I think it's easier to stand out against the big ones. Uh, you know, I, this was a this was a good question, and and luckily I had uh, I worked at Fun Plus back when Fun Plus wasn't Fun Plus. It, I mean, it was Fun Plus, but it didn't have top grossing games. And at the same thing, people were like, "What is this Chinese company that is you know has this empty studio space in San Francisco? Like, what are you guys even doing here? Like, is this money laundering thing or what's going on?" <laughs> you know, uh, so so it's kind of like the same type of approach. Like, how do you how do you hire without having the brand? And the way you hire when you don't have the brand to support you is you hire through your mission. Like, what do you set out to do? Um, what you can offer then that none of these big companies can offer is you, first of all, you can offer a mission that leads to passion. Uh, you can offer ownership and big companies. Oh my God. Reporting, meeting, reporting, meeting, meeting, reporting, then a little value workshop. And then, <laughs> you know, like, we know what it's like to work in a big company. So don't get it twisted. We know what your job is. So, so please don't, don't talk about how great it is at working at company big X. Uh, the, the second and the third thing is the atmosphere. It's like you can build the type of atmosphere. Like one of the first things that we did at Savage is we decorated it with rally chairs and gaming tables and everybody had a gaming PC uh, we have razors as laptops. They're not more expensive. They're actually cheaper than MacBooks and, mm -hmm. and you know, Lenovo's or whatever HP's, but they look dope and they look <laughs> like they are, they should be in a gaming studio. And then when people get them, they're like, check out my computer from my job. Like, look, this old black with three snakes <laughs> and um, the art on the wall is from games that we'd love like we, we have some you know this plate does some of the amazing amazing things so when you come in and, and the atmosphere is totally different then you have a talent so when you hire slowly and you hire only the best people the guys who you, and, the, and the gals you interview who come in they're like wow this this place is filled with some monsters like do i fit in or am i good enough to be in this crew because they know when they go back to their company with two thousand people not everybody is top of the food chain. There's a, there's a lot of people who are not. There's a lot of people who are just kind of cruising. And it's not it's not that they're just bad. They're, they're just the type of organization where you can cruise, but in this organization you can't cruise. So there's a so that's the fit that is coming in. Like, are you ready to to, to you know to swim with the sharks? And finally, there's an upside. Are you getting an upside in your current organization? Some people are, they're sitting on on options, so they're kind of locked. That's fine. It is what it is, but most people aren't. They don't have any upside. Um, they might have some options that are actually value, like without any any significant value. And they may think that they are safe, but we know that no gaming company is safe. It's it's it, it's ludicrous to think that you're working at company X Y publicly listed and you're safe. No, you're actually more likely to get cut yeah. because if the stock goes down, they're gonna they're gonna offload you. And then what they can offload, they're going to offload the people who are working on the new project. So if you're interested in working on something new, if you're interested in working with, with other people who are passionate, if you're interested in this atmosphere, if you're into taking ownership and if you buy into the mission and if you want the upside for completing the mission, come and join. It's a really interesting topic. And I noticed when I first started working in the games industry in Helsinki in, in 2013, I think it was. Um, it amazed me how tribal um, the, the, the games industry is. You know, there's like you said, there's the hoodies. There's a hoodie competition going down at IGDA. Like, who's got the best swag? Um, and you know, people are part of that organisation. You know, they're they're in it. You know, particularly the early stage ones. And yeah, I think super valuable points for people to take away is like, be you, be authentic, and you know, broadcast that and and tell people what you're not um, because that's that's super important. Yeah. I would say, I do have to say, I think it's easier to hire for a, for a small company. and, a, and a, not, not even, let's put it this way. It's not only a small company. You can be a part of a big company, but you're running your studio autonomously. I think that is easier than to hire for 
you know, company X that is public and that has this and that going on. Like it's, then it's based on what your, what's your stock price and people like you'll get people who are like, Oh, you guys are doing great because the stock is up. It's like, or you guys are doing poorly because the stock is down. It's like, no, this has nothing to do with what we're doing. So it's really hard to communicate your passionate message inside of a big organization. Unlike it is in a, in a smaller organization. So you're well off not being part of something big. Cool. Thank you very much. And what do you feel are the main forces behind a, a sustainable, high-performing, we can talk about Game Studio, but I guess any team, um, when it comes to culture that we've touched on a lot, process we've touched on, you know, and the team perspective, what are the measures that companies should look or should consider putting in place early doors um, to ensure that you know, high-performing organization? First of all, it's it's mission. I said mission so many times. It could be a North Star. Some companies talk about their North Star. That is super important because that brings people together and they understand what they're going after. There are companies with great North Stars or mission statements, like Supercell probably being one of the best ones. You know, they make games that people play for decades and remember forever. Got it. Got it. That's clear. <laughs> like, what else do you need? And then they have their, like, it comes from company first, then team, then you. Perfect. That's the, that's a playbook. Now I understand how to how to operate in this environment. So of course, having this type of a north star or a clear mission is is imperative. Then you have to have leadership that actually listens to people. This is a, to your comment of the ivory tower. I've seen this happening all the time. It's like they set up certain missions or certain goals, and and they never talk to the people. <laughs> they never go to the ground level and 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 really you know interact with 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 the staff it's like hey how's it going they might interact with the division leads and, and think it's going to go all the way up but no like even if you think like the biggest generals they always walk through their troops and kind of you know talk to everybody mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the, the stable boy like don't be afraid we're gonna take this it's normal to be afraid like you know the, that kind of stuff but that's a good leader the same thing has to happen in a business you, you have to be on the ground floor you have to be approachable and you have to approach others Third thing is you have to have decentralized command. Like you can't be a, a micromanager making all the calls because you kill all the initiatives in your company. Give leeway, trust your people, hire well, and let them come up with how they want to accomplish the mission. That's how you lead them through, through setting that. Uh, fourth one, top talent. If you start hiring too fast, Start bringing in people, start saving a little bit. Like, ah, oh, you know, this guy could probably do it, maybe. <laughs> or start bringing in too expensive people where they are not actually doing their work and they they need a lot of like a little army helping them out. Then that's a uh, that's that's not good. You want to always have a top talent so that when you come to work, you feel that you're surrounded with people who you respect and who you want to be working with. That's awesome. And finally, you got to um, ship whether it's games, whether it's whatever you're doing you have to get let the get the products out because mm -hmm. the success of your products and the growth of your products will invigorate your whole organization brilliant thank you very much now we're moving into some of the uh the closing questions um what would you say is one challenge when it comes to to co-founding and building a game studio that if you had a, a magic wand you could wave and, and fix it immediately the, the, I, was, I was talking today with, uh, with a certain founder who, um, who actually, <laughs> he reached the end of the rainbow just recently. <laughs> um, anyway, and he was, we were talking about this and he said, you don't want to sell too fast because then you lose out on all the grind <laughs> and the grind is what, <laughs> what grows you. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but basically that's, that's what he was, he was talking about. And, um, kind of reference to that like again you don't want to make it easy so no magic wands to make it easy because you have to go through the hardships uh, but one of the things that is probably the most difficult is uncertainty you know, you know there's <laughs> it's um there's always situations where you don't know what's going to happen and oh like every week usually a couple of times a week there's an element of uncertainty and you have to just live with it. And I'm the type of person that doesn't like uncertainty. I like plan A and plan B, preferably plan C as well. And when you are in situations of uncertainty where you don't know if plan A is going to work, 
And plan B is actually the wrong plan because you didn't expect this uncertainty to come in. So you actually don't have a plan that creates stress. So you have to kind of deal with it. And if, if I would be able to deal better with uncertainty and if somebody says meditation, I'm going to punch them, but, <laughs> uh, but, but that would be, that would be better. That would be the magic one is, is to, is to deal better with uncertainty. Because yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. It's a reality. And even yeah. the bets that you make as an organization, you think these are, we are very confident this bet's going to pay off. Sometimes they don't, right? And, and frustratingly for folks like us, you can control so much of the, of the equation, but not everything. Yeah, uh, and everything is important. But what, what do you think about it? Do you think meditation helps? Uh, for <laughs> me personally, no. Uh, my wife is very into spiritual activities and yoga does your wife run a company no she doesn't actually so there you go um (laughs) i just think for me the uncertain like you said uncertainty stress challenges solving problems these are these are what we sign up to and actually because deep down we like this kind of stuff right we like like hustle we like build we don't like sitting on something that's already done we're we're builders right so i just make myself aware that actually you might be a bit stressed, Matt, but you signed up for this. And by yeah. the way, you really love it. Yes, you might be a little bit sick in the head, but you actually love it. You know, exactly. And it's but but I always feel like I have to just jump on this meditation because I I hear it mainly from people who have gone through the grind and are on the other side, maybe sold their companies, but are well off. They're like, yeah, I really found meditation to help me a lot. I'm like, yeah, because you're not in the grind anymore. <laughs> yeah, you, you've cashed in. Your yeah. feet up. You're at yeah. the end of the rainbow. Did, no, did, I think meditate, me, yeah, did you meditate before? No, yeah, well, I just recently found this. I'm like, exactly, because everything is good now. <laughs> yeah, meditation for me um, is not in the true sense. Like I like I like music um, and yeah. other passion projects and you know, other things that I guess it is a form of meditation because I'm focusing my mind on, on other things, not constantly trying to, yes. to solve the stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I, I seek I seek peace <laughs> if we want to talk about it in this meditation sense in in just different things yeah yeah exactly doing something that makes you forget about the main thing that's a different thing exactly. but sitting quietly and trying not to think about the thing you should be thinking all the time is preposterous no that's, that, that stresses me out i would have the opposite effect to, to meditation i'm afraid I'd, I'd rather spend an hour trying to solve it and scribbling stuff down or yeah. on a whiteboard than trying not to think about it but Glad we're on the same boat there. <laughs> this podcast will not be sponsored by any meditation apps. <laughs> Ever. No, we blacklisted. <laughs> um, obviously not meditation, but is there anything that you're uh, unapologetically passionate about? You know, something that you're mildly obsessed with? Um, these can be lighthearted or, or serious, of course. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I was thinking about this question beforehand, and I was like, "What am I passionate about? Like, what do I do every day that I'm that I'm really into?" And I was like, "Oh, I forgot." It's like, "Yeah, my passion project actually, <laughs> deconstructor of fun is something I'm, I'm, I'm. I don't know if passion is the right word, but yeah, I do this. This is, but it it also supports my own journey because I can get smart people on a podcast and people who won't." have an hour call with me to talk about interesting things but since i published the, the art of conversation somehow they're willing to do that <laughs> yeah. so so i would say that as well as i i think by writing so that's how the whole thing came out to be mm-hmm. and if you write publicly then you write better and it's not just scribbles and you also keep yourself accountable so so i would say i would say that and if it's like mildly obsessed about stuff uh, this is something that I require for myself is like discipline. Uh, a lot of things going on always. So, so um, I mock myself in my head when I don't do enough stuff. <laughs> when I'm watching Netflix, I might be like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> I love the, I love the openness about like the learning process as well. And I'll be super open about that too. Yeah. Every single podcast we do um, that I'm, I'm sort of hosting my notepad and the same today goes crazy like I, i'm scribbling stuff down I'm like wow that's super cool <laughs> i'm adding this to my thinking list do we do, do we really do a great job of that so yeah it's a really great process and you get to speak to lots of super smart people um and unpack some of their great experiences so good stuff is there one thought value or phrase that you live by 
I wouldn't say live by. That would be... <laughs> Sounds extreme, huh? <laughs> it's pretty extreme, for sure. But on the business side and on, on everything, I really like the quote from Henry Ford. And he said, whether you believe you can or you can't, you're probably right. Mm. I think that's powerful. I think that is, like, it's, it's all in your head. Yeah. And, and that's, I think it's true. I'm not going to argue with that on that one. That is uh, very, very powerful. Um, is there a people leader, founder, or source of inspiration that you think we should try and secure as a future guest? And just to let you know, somebody suggested we get Elon Musk um, on. So hopefully cool. they're a bit more attainable, your suggestions, but we yeah. like a challenge. <laughs> so, so, all right, I'm going to give you, let's start off with... The easiest, not easiest, but most straightforward to get to your podcast that would be very interesting and I would definitely listen to. So James Nichols, he's a general mo- a general manager of Natural Motion. Uh, he's known in the industry wide as a great manager. So it would be great to talk to him and, and hear about why are you a great manager? Word on the street is you are a great manager. Why? <laughs> what makes you so? Uh, the second one would be Sophie Wo. She's, um, she's a studio lead at Wudu Berlin. And she does a lot of deep thinking on leadership, a lot of writing, a lot of, um, yeah, she has, she follows this um, Simon Sinek methods of, of finding the why, and she's very methodical in her approach. So uh, on her team building and everything, so that would be a, a great one. And um, and finally, number three would be Anton Gaufin. He's the CEO of Huge Games. Mm-hmm. So these are in the order of easiness to get. <laughs> so Anton is... I would call him an engine. Uh, he's he's just uh, he's a he's a founder, currently CEO of an of a public company, but he is always fired up. It's so fired up all the time. Like he, I don't know how, and um, and just gets more and more fired up as 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 things go forward. So I would definitely uh, hear from those three. So thank you very much for sharing that, and we'll we'll do what we can. Um, Finally, um, someone that you admire or think has a unique and impactful approach to, to scaling, especially from a people perspective. Yeah, I mean, this is not a surprise to, to probably anybody. So that would be the CEO of Supercell, Dilip Nabonanan. Mm-hmm. I think he's the, what, the best team builder in the business ever, probably? I would say so from my personal yeah. experience. Yeah, yeah. So let's, let's just, let's just call spade a spade. So that's... A, so, so of course, you know a tremendous amount of amount of learnings you can get from 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 the person. And um, yeah, I, I don't know what else I can say about that. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it's it's no secret to those that know, particularly folks like that you and I are fortunate enough to have had a level of exposure to to the way in which, and I guess you in digital chocolate as well, right? You know, helped um, create. The, the I guess I like his phrase about being the, the least powerful CEO in the world, right? It's all about kind of creating an organization that can achieve the mission, which is easier said than done. Yeah, he has a he has a strong mission, great leads, decentralized command. And then you can say you're least powerful. I, I don't believe in least powerful, let's be honest. That's a, that's a <laughs> great phrase, but the way he builds teams and organization is just unrivaled. For sure, for sure. Well, this has been a blast. Um, thanks for joining us. Super insightful. As always, you know, learnings for me and I think uh, learnings for, for everyone that's listened in. It's been brilliant. And um, thanks again. Very excited to follow yours and Savage Game Studios' journey ahead. And, and we wish you all the, all the very best. Appreciate it. Thank you for the great questions and, and fun interview. Thanks very much.